In October 1967, 26-year-old Mary Sevier set off from Sussex in England to ride to India on a motorcycle. The bike she had chosen for her trip was a 1966 BSA Bantam with a single-cylinder 175cc two-stroke engine. She reached India and kept going all the way around the world. The journey would take her nine years, making her the first British woman to circumnavigate the world alone on a motorcycle. My name is Martin Moore, and I'm a journalist and filmmaker. In November 2021, I sat down with Mary and asked her to tell her story. Episode 4, Fun and Games on a Cargo Ship to Australia. And then off I trotted. Um, I think really that was, um, yes, I think that was one of the trickiest borders I might have crossed. Yeah, I, the only time I ever bribed anybody was when I was coming back over the Mekong, but that's later on. So then I went into Zambia and I went and stayed with somebody who I knew from Afghanistan uh, in Lusaka. And then I went down to the Victorian Falls, which I have to say are fantastic, but you have to be there when it's the rain, rainy season, as, as with any waterfall, quite frankly. Um, and because I didn't have any money, I went and had tea on the terrace of the Victoria Falls Hotel. And the second time I visited it, I was on a camping safari to Namibia. And again, I didn't have any money. And I went and had tea on the patio there. And you can just see all the spray from the Victoria Falls uh, from, from, from the area there. And the third time I went, I was with my eldest sister from New Zealand and it was my birthday. And I said, I am going to treat us to staying in the Victoria Falls Hotel in a room, not just for tea. And we arrived and they looked in my passport and they said, oh, it's your birthday. So I said, yes, it is. <clears throat> and I said, this is my third visit, but I have never stayed here. I've had tea because I could only afford it twice. Now I can afford to stay here. So they upgraded us to a much bigger room. And after a little while, knock, knock on the door. And there was a steward with a bucket and a champagne uh, for my birthday. So I said, that's very sweet of you. Could you please take it down to the dining room where we have booked a table for tonight? And my sister and I went down and it was a vast ballroom with ta tables and there was an orchestra. I mean, the orchestra almost outnumbered the number of people who were dining. It was embarrassing. So there was sort of table there and a table there and a table there and my sister and I and they put flowers on the table and we were surrounded by staff and then the metro d went up to my sister and i thought i know what he's asking her and my sister said that's very kind of you i'm sure my sister will appreciate it but i think under the circumstances with so few people here maybe not tonight and he had asked could the band play happy birthday to me and my sister said it would have been so embarrassing with these tables literally spread around. Anyway, that, that was years and years later when, when I could afford it. So it was just afternoon tea when I was there on my motorbike. Um, and then I got to, yeah, in Rhodesia. Well, yes, it was Rhodesia in those days. Now it's Zimbabwe. Uh, and I stayed 
I stayed on two or three different farms. I had a relation who had a farm uh, and then two other people who had farms who uh, were related or friends of people from the village I came from in Sussex, Selsey. Um, and that, that was fascinating. I personally found the atmosphere in Rhodesia was very, very good. Uh, the people on the farms seemed to treat their employees very well indeed. There didn't seem to be sort of us and them. Um, they were employees, farm staff. Uh, the situations were absolutely fantastic. And then one I went to, which was right on the border with Botswana, went down this track and I was told I had to get to the railway crossing, but there wasn't a railway. And there was this huge wooden building, which was the local post office convenience store. So I trundled down on my little BSA Bantam and parked the bike and out comes this big woman. I don't think she had rollers in her hair, but she's the sort of woman who would have done. <laughs> she stood at the top of the steps and she said, well, it's about time you arrived, isn't it? In a strong Cockney accent. <laughs> and she came from the East End of London. Oh, she was so nice. And she ran the post office convenience store. And she had been reading all the postcards I'd been sending to Mr. and Mrs. Rutter, who I was going to stay with on a farm. So she knew all about my travels. <laughs> I think she said I should have been there two or three days earlier, but never mind, at least I had arrived. And then I said, I, I think you're supposed to tell me how to get to their farm. So she said, yes, OK, fine. So it was across the road, over a cattle grid, open the gates, close the gates. And then off I was going on this sand track. And... Uh, I was looking for a farmhouse and I went past a whole lot of little buildings which I thought were farm labourers cottages and I'm tootling along and suddenly I hear lots of screaming and shouting and hooting and hooting and this Land Rover comes charging after me. Well it turns out that what I thought were these little farm workers cottages were actually their farmhouse but it was made up of what is very typical as guest accommodation in Rhodesia and in South Africa, rondavals, which are round huts. I suppose, like, what are they called in Mongolia, yurts? They're round as well. And these would be uh, made of mud, and they would have thatched roofs, and they would have windows. And these people have been there, I don't know how many years, husband and wife, and they had animals and they grew vegetables. They were quite fairly self-sufficient. Um, and the only main building, which was brick, had uh, a fire in it, which they fed with wood. And then that's how they did their cooking. And then the other side was where the hot water tank was. So it was a backsea, I suppose, what we would call it. Um, and then that was the shower. And then in a circle, a bit rather like sort of Indians with tepees, um, there would be these round buildings. And two of them were guest rooms with ensuite. They had their own bedroom. One of them was a sitting room. Uh, one of them was a dining room. And then there was a garden in the middle. And it was, oh, it was out of this world. It was, and it was so peaceful and quiet and there were animals wandering around no wild animals. Um, 
and they drove me all over the place to see different places and of course it was where roads had been quite yeah in quite 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 a lot of the places around there uh, and then eventually I left them and then I went to the South African border but when I got to immigration there there was a young girl well, young woman sitting at a desk and I handed over my passport and she said uh, ticket out of South Africa so I said what ticket out of South Africa so I said I haven't got a ticket out of South Africa well, you can't come into South Africa unless you've got a ticket out of South Africa. So I thought, fiddle-dee-dee. I said, well, I've got a motorcycle. I had my crush helmet in my hand. I've got a motorcycle. Um, I'm leaving South Africa by ship, but I don't know when. Where's your ticket? So I said, well, because I don't know when I'm leaving, I don't know what ship I'm going on, so I don't have a ticket. And I thought, calm down, Mary, don't lose your temper. It's not her fault. No, you've got to have a ticket. So I said, I've got 2,000 US dollars. I've got enough money to, to buy a ticket. You've got to have a ticket. So I don't know what made me think of it. So I bent down and I looked at her and I said, let me tell you something. I'm on a motorcycle by myself. I said, I've been all the way from England out to India. And I came across to East Africa. And I've come down through. And of course, in those days, it was called Black Africa. I don't suppose it is now. I suppose it's allowed. I've come down through Black Africa. I've come through, down through lots of different countries. And some of them were really quite dangerous. And I didn't know whether I was ever going to make it to South Africa. And she looked at me and I thought, come on, Mary, you're winning. I said, there were so many people who said, you'll never get to South Africa. But I said, I've made it and I've come to see your lovely country. And I said, that's why I didn't buy a ticket out because I didn't know that I was ever going to get here. Well, I nearly had her in tears. I don't know, the gift of the gab. <laughs> I come from a theatrical family. <laughs> Who's to say? But, oh, God, I was sweating. I really was sweating. Anyway, no, 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 she stamped my passport. Uh, and then I went down, got to Johannesburg, stayed with friends. Oh, God, friends who I had met when I was working on, on, on a kibbutz in Israel. Uh, and then I went down to Durban. And then I was supposed to be, by this time, I'd found out about ships to uh, Australia. And there was a cargo ship leaving from Cape Town. So off I scoot across the south coast of Africa, uh, South Africa, as though it was sort of just going for the day. But it did actually, I can't remember, I think it took me about a week. And I had to go through what was called the Transkei, which was, I can't remember the terminology, but it was not, a, it wasn't a town, I mean, the whole area was where they put the blacks quite spread out, lots of little huts everywhere, um, actually very, very nice. And I was told by certainly all the white people I met, you can't go through the trench sky on your own on a motorbike, it's not safe. So I said, oh, that's what they said about black Africa, oh, for God's sakes, what are they going to do? I'm on a motorbike, I'm not harming anybody, I haven't got any money, I mean, why would they harm me? They'll harm somebody who's harmed them. I said, people don't 
go out of their way to harm anybody. Well, not in those days anyway. Um, so off I trotted across the Transkei. And of course, I had no problems whatsoever. And I got to Cape Town, went into the shipping office. Oh, the ship's not going to Australia. It's going to New Zealand. It hasn't got cargo for Australia. It's got cargo for New Zealand. So I said, oh, well, I don't want to go to New Zealand. Not now. Why not? Why don't you go to New Zealand? Because the cargo ship's coming in and it's going to, you're booked on it. So I said, no, I don't want to go to New Zealand. I want to go to Australia first, then New Zealand, because that's the way it goes, east. Well, the next cargo ship's going from Durban. I said, you are joking. I've got to go all the way back to Durban to get a cargo ship. Oh, no, I'm not going to New Zealand. No, no, no. So I then decided, right, so back I went all the way across South Africa, more or less the same route, by which time there was snow. And I can remember one night, it was dark, it was snowing, it was blowing a gale, and I got to, and I'm not, I can't remember the name of the town because I haven't found all the paperwork, but I got to this hotel with all its lights on and it was really so warm looking and I was so frozen, I could hardly switch the motorbike off. And I got, managed to get off the bike and I managed to get into the hotel and this big woman came out, very, very Germanic. And I thought, oh, no, no, I haven't got the energy to argue with anybody. I couldn't even take my crash helmet off. And I said, have you got a room? I said, I'm sorry, I am so frozen that I can't even take my crash helmet off. So she came round and she took my crash helmet off. And I said, I can't sign the register. I've always wanted to put X. I can manage X, I think, but I can't manage my name. So, no, turned out she was very, very nice. And I said, my bike's outside. She said, don't worry about it. She said, I'll send the girls out. And I said, they won't know how to untie all the ropes and everything. Don't worry about it. There'll be boys and girls out there. They will do it all. They will bring your luggage. So I said, right, what time do you have evening meal? Because I said, I have actually got a dress. I can present myself quite nicely in the dining room. She said, you're in no fit state to come down for dinner. She said, the girls will take you up to your room. They'll run the bath for you. They will help you undress if you haven't thawed out. They will get everything ready for you. And we will then bring up food for you. Okay. So I went up. And I had a couple of girls come with me, great big buxom African girls, so nice. And they ran the bath and, and I didn't worry me in the slightest the fact that they were undressing me. And I lay in the bath and I thawed out, obviously. And then up came trays, fruit, sandwiches, cold cuts, tea. It was absolutely fantastic. I never, never forget it. The hospitality of that woman when I thought she was going to be a real dragon, especially when I decided she probably wasn't keen on motorcyclists. At some stage, I must find out. I think it was George, maybe called George, but I'm not sure. <coughs> Excuse me, can I have a yes, drink of... of <coughs> Thanks. So then I continued and I went back to Durban 
and the cargo ship wasn't coming in for a few weeks, I think. So I stayed with, I stayed with somebody who was a motorcyclist. I, I don't know how I found him. And a very nice couple with children. And I used to do babysitting for them so that they could go out. Um, and I got secretarial work because I had been a court shorthand writer. And then a cargo ship arrived. And I don't know what happens nowadays, but of course there are very few cargo ships that carry passengers anyway. But in those days, there were a number of cargo ships that, that took pass a few passengers. And when I was on my first ship from Bombay down to uh, East Africa, the captain said to me, did you pay for your motorbike to come on here? So I said, yes. And he said, you shouldn't have done. So I said, why? He said, as a passenger, you are allowed 40 cubic feet in the hold. And I said, well, the Indians never told me that. So he said, well, no, because you paid up. So, primed, I said to the cargo ship company, um, I'm allowed 40 cubic feet in the hold, aren't I? I've got a motorbike. What does your motorbike measure? So I said, 40 cubic feet. You had to take the front wheel off and the luggage rack, but I didn't tell them that. So when I got on the cargo ship, they actually put it into a room. It was not crated. And even when I went from Bombay on, on the ship to uh, East Africa, it was put into a room. It wasn't crated. Thank God. So I didn't have to fluff about having... I had to make sure that there was hardly any petrol in the tank. But I didn't have to fluff about having to put things back to, together again to get it onto the land. Um, and so I think I was on the cargo ship for four weeks. There were two other passengers. I'm not sure whether he was a bookmaker. She was a dyed blonde. They were awful. And at some stage, when, when one went on a cargo ship, well, certainly from South Africa, you were only, as a passenger, you were only allowed to board at the last port of call. The last port of call was Durban. But they had arrived in Cape Town and they demanded to go on board in Cape Town. And the captain said, no, you can't. You have to go to the last port of call, and it's Durban. We're not going all the way down to Durban. So the captain said no. So they went into the shipping office, and somewhere along the line they knew somebody, and they pulled strings, and they got on board. And the captain was furious, absolutely livid. And he said, right, two people can play in that sort of a game. They pulled rank. These two will not be allowed to use the officer's mess, which passengers were allowed to, but it had to be with the permission of the captain and the officers. So then they'd been on the ship for a few days and I get on board. And of course, they all know there is a single woman coming on board. So they're really agog to see what is going to arrive. And I arrive. They probably were expecting some aged spinster female. Well, I was a young spinster female. And they also must have known I had a motorbike. So I come on board and they're all flocking around me, chat, 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 chat. And they said, this is really bad. Um, we want to invite you to the officer's mess. But the captain had said, we're not allowed to. And they explained that the other two had been barred. And the captain said, sorry, really sorry, but we've made that ruling and it applies to all passengers. It has to.
we can't discriminate. So time went past and I found out from these other two that they didn't play Scrabble. Oh, who wants to play Scrabble? Oh, no, it's like bingo, whisk drive. Oh, terrible, terrible. And they used to sit and drink most of the time. So then the, the officers came around and I said, um, any of you lot play Scrabble? Yes. So I said, uh, the other two don't play Scrabble. Oh. So they went to the captain and they said, um, could we have an evening of Scrabble, captain? And we'll invite the passengers. So he said, well, yes, yes, no, that'll be fine. Yes, yes, then they can come on the officer's mess for Scrabble, an evening of Scrabble. So, of course, they went and asked the other two and the other two, oh, don't do Scrabble. Then they came and asked me and I said, well, I'm not very good at it, but yes, yes, no, I'd love to play Scrabble. <laughs> Honest to God, what one sings to. Uh, so I went and played Scrabble and then the next night I went and played Scrabble. And after that, nobody was asking anybody and these two decided something had happened and it was all set up. So they then became, became very, very anti. The captain would not come down to meals, which he should have done. And the first officer, the, the officers used to fight over who was going to be at the table because these two actually were very, very rude. They really were quite impossible. It was awful. The Merry Motorcycle Podcast is the unedited audio track from a film about Mary Sevier made by Martin Moore and produced by Saul Jevons. Listen to episode 5 now. <laughs>